This is 50 miles per hour. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. You're deeply nuts, you know that. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is on. Stay on or get off. If it drops below 50, stay on or get off. It blows up. Oh darn. What do you do? You have a hair trigger aimed at your head. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? I'm your host, Chris Tapley, and you're listening to an oral history of director Jan de Bont's 1994 summer blockbuster, Speed. Straight from the people who made it happen. Now, don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. Let's hit the road. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in once again. If you missed last week's episode and you want a succinct rundown of why you should care about a podcast dedicated to the making of speed, well, I encourage you to go back and listen to me and Los Angeles Times film critic Justin Chang talk you through why this movie matters so much. I think he did an excellent job of setting the table for us. But today, we start to get our hands dirty. I'm calling this Chapter 1, Ground Zero, if you will, for the genesis of speed. Because after all, every story has a beginning, every story fades in. So where does speed fade in? Speed fades in on screenwriter Graham Yost. Today, Graham is the Emmy Award-winning writer and producer of series like HBO's From the Earth to the Moon and The Pacific, as well as FX's Justified and The Americans. But in the late 80s and early 90s, he was a writer and story editor on programs like Nickelodeon's Hey Dude. Hey Dude... There was also Fox's Herman's Head. Remember that one? Is that all you can think about? Food and sex? Yes. Please, focus. Look out! Yeah, you could hear the VHS in that one. Anyway, soon enough, not to be forgotten, ABC's TGIF staple. Full House. He even had a handful of spec scripts under his arm for shows like Murphy Brown and Roseanne. A spec script is something you write on speculation, something that isn't commissioned and is written in the hopes that it will be optioned or purchased by a producer or production company. In other words, Graham was a working writer making his way into a new decade in Hollywood and episodic television had become his purview. When I just decided I wanted to be a writer in Hollywood, I thought, well, I like, um, I like television and I like movies. And I was happy to do either one. I, uh, way back when, before I did the Roseanne and the Murphy Brown, I wrote a spec head of the class, uh, you know, just to try, just to try the form. Um, I could tell I wasn't terrible at it. And I'm not just being the self-effacing Canadian, you know, it's like, I knew I wasn't great, but I knew it, it wasn't bad. It was like, I think maybe this, I could maybe do this. And so when I got the work on, Hey Dude, that was a godsend. That was my first real job writing scripts. And that was writer's boot camp. You know, we just, we were shooting an episode every two and a half, five, every five days in, outside of Tucson. Before I got hired on Full House, I had the idea for speed. I've been wasn't called that initially. You probably know that story. And now we've hit our first real piece of trivia on this quest. Speed is a fantastic title, isn't it? It's simple. It's pure. 
Nothing else can ever be called speed because speed is speed. I mean, it's perfect. But it wasn't always perfect. It was pretty far from perfect. The original title of Speed was... Minimum Speed. Minimum Speed. Uh, people love to still give me shit about that one. But I had, I had time. I'd, I'd written the Murphy Brown and the Roseanne, and uh, my friend who was an agent said... Yeah, no one's staffing until May, so I got nothing for you until then. And I thought, well, I'll write this script. And I ran it by a friend, and a writer friend, Brian Risley. And he said, that's a good idea. You should write that one. Now, before we get into the real genesis of this idea, it's worth understanding where Graham was coming from as a storyteller and what was formative for him as someone discovering his own cinematic taste. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwee Yost. Graham's father, Elwee Yost, was the host of Saturday Night at the Movies, a popular weekly series that aired on TV Ontario, which was the public educational television network in Ontario, Canada. I suppose the best way to describe it is as a genteel Siskel and Ebert at the Movies meets Robert Osborne's wonderful Turner Classic Movies intros. Elwee would present films and then feature interviews and segments with the directors and actors. He hosted the show for a quarter of a century, from 1974 to 1999. And what's great about it, and what I particularly would have loved if I was lucky enough to have something like this growing up, was that Elwee also talked to the artisans involved in making these movies. Cinematographers, film editors, folks who certainly back then never got a lot of publicity. There was a focus on craft and how movies were actually made. And that was sort of the soup that Graham was surrounded by. We just always grew up talking about movies always talking with the cool ideas. He loved really good suspense movies. He loved the movies of this lesser-known director now, Andrew Stone, um, who had a great ship-sinking movie called The Last Voyage. You know, there's a sort of a hokey uh, sort of prologue thing. But then when it starts, it's in the big, you know, ballroom, the dining room, and at the captain's table, he's handed a note, and it opens it up, and it says, fire in the boiler room. That's how the movie starts. And it's just one of those, just it just doesn't stop. And it's solving problems. All, you know, the boiler blows up. Robert Stack's wife is trapped. Can he get an acetylene torch? You know, it's just uh, tension and, and, and this sort of how do people respond in that kind of situation. This sort of thing really attracted Graham. Concept-driven storytelling. It's almost become a dirty word nowadays, and believe me, we'll get into why speed is an absolute specimen of concept over character, and why it's kind of brilliant and how it navigates that in due course. But speed came along at a time when the industry traded in these clean engines. Guy who escaped Alcatraz has to help a Navy SEAL team infiltrate it to thwart a nerve gas attack on San Francisco. Welcome to the Rock. We got visitors. Nuclear submarine captain and his CO clash over conflicting interpretations of an incomplete order to launch their missiles. God help you if you're wrong. If I'm wrong, then we're at war. God help us all. Terrorists hijack Air Force One and the president takes matters into his own hands. How the hell did this happen? How the hell did they get Air Force One? Get off my plane. The elevator pitches were out of control in the best way in the 90s. And while character certainly made these films work, concept and premise put butts in seats. It was in this spirit that Graham's gears started turning on his bomb-on-a-bus movie. 
Well, that and legendary filmmaker Akira Kurosawa. I don't know what happened, but there's no engineer on this train. There's nobody on this train but us. The brake shoes have burned off. The overspeed control must have gotten screwed up. Engineers do not just cloak. You want to be a tough guy? You want to be a legend? Go back! Sucker, come on! That's the 1985 Andrei Konchalovsky film, Runaway Train, starring John Voight, Eric Roberts, and Rebecca de Mornay. It was adapted from an unproduced Kurosawa script, and voila, we just started this podcast, and we're already drawing lines from speed to a guy some might argue is the greatest film director of all time. In any case, Elwi Yost was completely taken by this film's premise. All he said was there's a Kurosawa script about a train that can't slow down or it'll blow up. That was an idea that just got him. And I saw the movie when it finally came out. And I said, oh, no, they just can't get to the brakes. And it'd be better if it was a bus. Because there's something just so linear about a train. You know, it, for me, a lot of it was just problem solving. How can, they, how can they solve this problem? It's really more a disaster movie in many ways than an action movie. You know, it's like, okay, you're in a boat that's upside down. How do you get out of the Poseidon? So, in this case, what do you do? And I thought with the train, you're just going to land a helicopter on the roof and start getting people off. And so it was very much a concept-driven um, enterprise. You know, it was not, mm -hmm. oh, I know the character of Jack and I know what he's going through. And uh, no, it was really built on, on the events. In the early 1990s, Los Angeles was, as ever, a sprawling urban patchwork of highways and byways. Asphalt arteries connecting disparate enclaves and neighborhoods all over the second largest metropolitan area in the United States. In speed, they all converge one fateful day on a city bus that faces one hell of a ticking clock. Take it away, Dennis Hopper. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? That's a ballsy premise, and also kind of brilliant. I mean, it would become a great way to showcase a number of featured players reflective of the melting pot quality the city has, and to thrust these two central figures, police officer Jack Traven and unassuming bus rider-turned-driver Annie, into sudden chaos. So, what's the research like on something like this? So my, my, my joke is, you know, uh, the, the guy who got hired to write Speed 2 was put on a cruise ship for two weeks. I rode a bus and I paid for it myself. I got on the bus in Santa Monica. I rode to downtown, walked across the street, caught the bus back. That was my research. I just wanted to see the type of people that might be on the bus. I did get a tour of uh, the Santa Monica bus yard. And the one cool thing was seeing how they cleaned the buses which was basically they, they put this thing that sealed over the front doors and they put this thing that sealed over the back doors and then they just blew a shit ton of air into that and spun everything up and then just sucked it out the back. And I was like, that is really cool. But I have to go back to the start of this episode and say again, every story has to fade in. So how do you start a screenplay that is meant to ultimately be a gripping thrill ride through Los Angeles? Something that will grab the audience like that fire in the boiler room note from The Last Voyage. How do you set up this hero cop, Jack Traven? Initially, I had this whole, there was an opening sequence and it was going to be this bicycle cop in Santa Monica who stumbles on the whole thing. And so I talked to a bicycle cop and that was fun. Um, but then I realized, nah, it needs a big opening and it needs to be something that, you know, that is suspenseful 
and introduce the bad guy and all of that stuff. So that became the elevator sequence. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll get to that soon enough. What about the character of Annie, ultimately played by newcomer Sandra Bullock? Ma'am, you did very well. Actually, you're incredible. I've never seen driving like that. Annie. What? It's, it's my name, Annie. Annie. Is it close to ma'am? <laughs> okay. In the film, she's a graphic designer taking the bus because, well, she says because there are cars in the shop, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge, she's had her license taken for speeding. And I don't even think you would know she's a graphic designer, but for an extended scene on the special edition DVD. Anyway, she becomes an unlikely heroine who has to actually drive this massive beast through L.A. rush hour traffic. So it started, first of all, she wasn't Annie. Um, she was Darlene, and she was uh, a black ambulance driver. I wanted someone who could drive well. And then, you know, one of the stories is the very first person we went to was Halle Berry. And she said no. And, um, and yet it was great to, great to see the two, Hallie and uh, Keanu together in, in John Wick 3, because um, she kicked ass. Then it was, she is going to be, I said, well, I want her to be funny. So what if she teaches a, a uh, you know, um, a, a driving course for people who have gotten a ticket? And it's a comedy driving school. What if she does that? So we can just sort of give her, make her a little funnier. That would have been the, the, the comedy thing was, I was I, that's when I thought of Ellen. So you might have seen that clip of Ellen DeGeneres interviewing Keanu Reeves and talking about how she was up for this role. Anyway, that's what Graham is talking about here. You know that uh, we were supposed to, the way we should have met, uh, Speed was originally written for me. Did you know that? <laughs> This is cool. a true story, and, and Sandra Bullock will tell you. So, so the guy that wrote Speed wrote it with me in mind, and then Sandy got the part. Okay. And, but it would have been you and me, and it would have been... Nice. It would have been nice. It would have been phenomenal. It would, oh, have, would been, have been awesome. Yeah. Another multiverse of versions. It was just, it just would have been different. It's truly one of the many great casting stories of what might have been with Speed. But sticking with these early days on the page, everyone you talk to who read Graham's first draft talks about how well-written it was, how the characters and dialogue popped, and more importantly, how he managed to jump right into the story and somehow maintain its energy throughout. A sense of propulsion was very much key to his approach. It was a, uh, an exercise in structure. To me, um, and I would say this to people, you know, doing a, big, a good comic bit, a, a good scene, everything is a three-act structure. In one, you know, whether it's a joke, it's a setup, development, punchline, or an action scene, there's a problem. What do you do? How do you solve it? What happened? You know, it that there's everything is an exercise in structure, and and that was William yeah. Goldman's line was you know, great dialogue is nice, but it's really all about structure. There was something about puzzling through the the, the speed thing was. How can I make it worse? How can I, how can I get them to almost succeed? And then the bad guy has thought of something and just keep on going at it. Just that idea of, of my brother and I talk about this contain and sustain. And, and the other thing was, you know, Die Hard came out in 88. Love that film. And that's, you know, in an office building, it's just all there. And, and to me, that's, that's still one of the great um, movies. 
So that was uh, something that, you know, was a kind of a guiding light to shoot for something like that. You know, I sort of love that he doesn't shy away from admitting this, by the way. I mean, Speed would be derided in some studio circles as diehard on a bus. But listen, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being inspired by what works. The funniest thing we it was later on, um, Allison uh, Segan, Allison Lyon Segan, who was a producer on the movie. The year after Speed came out, Allison was submitted a script by someone who said, it's like Speed in an office building. And it was like, that is the best compliment we could ever get. I maintain, and if I you know, talk to a class or whatever, that the great heroes of, of literature are not the smartest. They're not the strongest. Sometimes they are. It's Hercules or whatever, or Jack Reacher. Although I, I'm not that interested, frankly, in, in Hercules. Um, I'm more interested in Perseus. And he figures out that to kill Medusa, he's going to look at a reflection because everyone else looks at her and turns to stone. He figures out the trick. And so through the whole movie is Jack is trying to figure out the trick. How, how can I solve this problem? And, um, and I love that. I love, I mean, listen, John McClane is just trying to stay at one step ahead. He's trying to keep from getting killed. He's trying to find out what they're doing. And it's just one trick after another. How can I get from A to B without, you know, I'm going to have to run across broken glass. Fuck. Okay. So um, to me, that's what, that's, that's the real fun of the movie is, is solving problem after problem. And that we're trying to stay a little bit ahead of what the audience is thinking. So here we are. Graham Yost has conceived something ambitious on the page. He's got a riveting elevator sequence to set up a hero cop and a breakneck race. I'm going to use breakneck a lot, I think, throughout this. Through the streets of Los Angeles that culminates first with a number of loops around Dodger Stadium and ultimately an epic explosion at the Hollywood sign. Sorry, what's that? None of that is in the actual movie? Well, you're right. When producers come on board and first one studio and then a second start to throw their notes into the mix, everything about this first draft would inevitably shift and evolve. At this point, though, it's all about getting the right partners involved. And this is where we bring in co-producer Allison Lyon, who Graham just mentioned. I'd met Allison Lyon, and she was at, oh God, I think Adelson Baumgarten or something like that. And we were talking about this other idea I had about a crisis line and this sort of fucked up thriller narrative from that. And she was interested and we were sort of developing it. He was pitching me a completely different uh, project called Suicide Hotline, which I liked. And he said, you know, I said, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. He said, it's okay. I'm going to go home and I'm working on a spec script. And then I said, you know, I've got this idea about this bomb on a bus and blah, blah, blah. She said, don't tell me anything more. And don't send it to me because I, I'm leaving this place, but I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to go. At the same time, my wife, I uh, met her in the business. She'd worked at, at CAA, Connie, and she was, uh, then she'd gone to work for Sally Field as a, Sally had her own production company over at, at Columbia. And uh, Kevin McCormick was her, her producing partner. Um, Kevin's gone on to do, you know, dozens of big films, but um, Connie was the development executive and then Sally's deal ended and Connie was out of work. And so she went to interview with Mark Gordon and it was down to between Connie and Allison for this job. And Mark went with Allison. And if he had gone with my wife, if he'd gone with Connie, I couldn't have given her the script and said, here, have your boss read this when she's just starting this job. It would have been weird. Um, 
but Allison said, I'm at Mark Gordon. Let me read the script now. And so she read it, gave it to Mark. He, he was taken by it. And Mark, you know, said at the time, he said, yeah, it was the elevator sequence that sold him. And that is probably as good a place as any to stop this week. We've got an eager writer in Graham Yost, a helpful development executive in Allison Lyon, and next, finally, a producer ready and willing to take this ballsy script out to the studios. Surely everyone in town will be interested, right? I mean, who's going to say no to this? Uh, Hold that thought. Next week on 50 Miles Per Hour. You know, I read the script and I was just floored by the way Graham wrote action. This was poetry. Screenwriter Graham Yost finds himself a producer in up-and-coming Mark Gordon, but convincing literally any studio to take a chance on this outrageous prospect would be an uphill battle. We sent out the scripts, you know, to different studios, and people are like, what are you thinking? And Don read it and totally got it. We'll meet former Paramount executive Don Granger, who played a key role in Speed's early development and fought valiantly to get it a green light. And I said, okay, I get it. This, I, I know what I like about this. I think we have a lot of work doing the script, but let's go after it. And that was one of those, you know, my life just changed. But heartbreak was on the horizon and speed would still have a long and winding road ahead. The odds of a movie that you're developing at a studio getting made, it's always slim. All of that and more next week, right here on 50 Miles Per Hour. Thanks so much for listening. 50 Miles Per Hour is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Chris Tapley. You can find us on Twitter at 50MPHPod. I'm at Chris Tapley. That's Chris with a K. You can also catch every episode and more at our website, 50MPHPodcast.com. If you dug the show, please like and subscribe and do all the things. We'll see you next time.